Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Uh, hey guys, very, very special episode, episode 184 of the Bitcoin podcast, flagship show of the Bitcoin podcast.network. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. Today we have Taylor back on the mic. You want to say hello? Hey, everyone. It's Taylor from My Crypto now. Yeah. Hey, Congratulations questions on the big move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And our first caller is coming from no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So I guess without even pretending like nothing's happening, let's just jump into it. Uh, so my crypto has created, or, or the team from my Ether wallet, Sans, a person or two, has created a new business and moved to it called my crypto. In order to continue doing the exact same thing and add a lot of other features along, like in the future, uh, there seems to be some controversy on the process of this happening. And so what? Because it doesn't really matter because you don't need to trust either one of the services to use them. They don't hold funds. They're open source, transparent. It's more along like the way I see this from my perspective as a not part of this whole thing is that. You just wanted to set things up so that you can grow faster. Mm-hmm. Is that about? Go you ahead. Know, yeah. One of the, one of our main goals with this is just being able to um, have a company that's set up correctly, that is set up with long-term goals in mind. And, um, you know, one of the, like, if we go back in time and, you know, you see the little My Ether Wallet LLC you know, you assume that like we had our shit together and we went through and we had a bunch of lawyers and we set up this LLC and everything set up properly. Well, reality is, is that when we set up the LLC, this was in, in mid 2016, the LLC was not set up, um, with like, Oh, this is going to be a huge company with a team of employees at some point. The LLC was literally set up with the singular purpose of getting that little EV cert that says my ether wallet LLC. And that's it. Because at the time it was like right after it was like, right. The post Dow hard fork situation. And, you know, we, we had seen our first fishers. So while we knew that like, Oh, we should probably have like some sort of company, I guess, because that's what you do when you have a business. We never really thought about it as a business, so we never really were like, oh, we really need a company. We better get this this shit straight. So 
you know, that's the, <laughs> that if you, if you, if you keep in mind the mentality of, of everyone that, you know, and, and the whole evolution of this project to this company, um, you know, a lot of the things that people assume we did correctly, or we, we were um, doing with XYZ intentions are simply like, weren't there because we were just such a side project and so so new to the space and so you know we just wanted to build that's always what we wanted to do is just build so you know when we were kind of forced to grow up and forced to be like a quote-unquote real company and we had people and contractors relying on us it's suddenly a situation where you know in the midst of everything else going on in the midst of you know the nodes going down and people being upset with us there in the midst of trying to scale up the team to deal with the the support requests in the midst of trying to scale the developer team in the midst of trying to figure out how you know um i can sleep and hire people that will do their job so that i can you know sleep once in a while um you know at some point you're like hey i wonder if that that the company that we set up for that EV cert last year uh, is the right thing? And the answer was, like, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Does it come as a surprise that so many people, like, like I, I, I see the, the craziness on Reddit, and, and it, I think it stems from them not understanding the service. Like, oh, can I still use my Trezor wallet? Can I... I still use my private. Like, how are they this deep into the game, and they still kind of don't get how the portal works or the service works? I mean, is I that a little frustrating? That. Oh yeah, you hand answer it. Let's see. Let's I see. I think uh, all the eight screens that my Ether Wallet puts in front of you as a learning experience to understand how this technology works and what you're actually doing. Yeah, they are skipping through that shit. Hardcore. But they designed it in a way where it's not like an iTunes agreement where you're like not reading that. I mean, they have like, it's all mostly pictures and it's just like, this yeah, is your money, I man. think it goes to show you that people still don't give a shit. They just click through to get to the thing that they want and then like, hey, how do I use this? It's like, oh, I literally just went through a tutorial on how to use this. And I, I know that just because I'm speaking from experience and I've been dancing with the internet since I was like eight. And even when I get an agreement on like terms and conditions, when I scroll to the bottom, if it doesn't let me accept, I don't go back through the terms and conditions and read them. I figure out what are the conditions to not see this terms and conditions anymore. Well, how Do I much have to of highlight it a word? Armchair. Do I have to answer a how question? Much of it is, like how much is a controversy just from people who literally don't even use my Ether wallet? Or they're just. That's they, an interesting question. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sure I mean, most people have touched it. Like, or people who don't know all of the There's, other things that the my Ether wallet my, my crypto team has done for the community in the past outside of my Ether wallet. There's a lot of, yeah. you know, and I, I basically, I just blocked myself from Reddit yesterday um, because I was, we have bigger things to focus on. Um, and the, the, you know, the thing is we knew Reddit was, we knew people were going to be upset no matter what. Like people don't like change. We didn't know what they were going to latch nope. on to. Um, I also, you know, I'm fully aware that whenever you have um, a lack of transparency and like a lack of just like the cold, hard facts in front of people that, um, you know, you especially Reddit is good at, you know, they can just like sense it. It's like their sixth sense of sensing like you're hiding something. 
and then they assume the worst and the pitchforks come out. And unfortunately, um, as much as I want to just like tell everyone everything, you know, that's my nature. There's some things in business that you simply can't talk about. And that's, that's, you know, as, as far as I can go with that. And it sucks because I'm part of this community and by nature, I'm not one to keep my fucking mouth shut. Like this is not in my nature. And I just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys posted like a follow-up Q and a, was that to add more clarity? Yeah. So we were getting a lot of like, you know, um, questions that I, that some of them we were kind of expecting, but some of them we definitely were like, okay, we need to really go to the basics here guys. Um, and so the FAQ was, was trying to address that and, um, and speak to some of the things that people are most confused about. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, if you kind of sort deeper through and, and get past these, um, you know, all the top comments are very like polarizing. Um, if you if you get past those, people do have legitimate questions about what is going on and can I continue using the service? And um, you know, I I wish there is a way that we could have done this to avoid like this this picking teams thing that I'm seeing going on because it's just absurd. Like this is the blockchain. This is the space. Um, FYI, there's not a ton of wallets out there, so we're going to just keep building and that's what we're going to do. And whatever my ether wallet does, they're going to do. And hopefully that's going to, you know, give the people picking these products a, a better choice. But it also means that, you know, it's very reasonable to expect that you use one wallet for one thing and use another for another thing. Um, and like, that's currently, that's how I use, like, I still have missing. I still use it. You know, that that's what, this is what, this is what it's all about. I kind of see this whole thing. I mean, if I, if I try to put it in even the blockchain terms is that when there is some type of, um, disagreement in, in the space and somebody wants to make a change, or do something and the other person doesn't or a, per, or a percentage of a community doesn't want that change, then they fork, they, they go separate ways. And in this circumstance, based on the two entities that ended up, you have 90% or more of the original entity on my crypto and the rest staying behind. And continuing on, on on the project without without those changes. And what I grew to appreciate and like enjoy about what was my Ether wallet is now my crypto. So that's the that's the team that's like that's the same team that I originally originally cared about and got behind. So that seems to be the obvious choice and where I go from here. That doesn't necessarily mean that anything behind is is bad or not going to do anything. I don't know because I don't, I just don't know those people behind the project. Right. And And everyone has different reasons for using a product, right? Like we have people that use it because someone told them to. And I think those are the people that are most um, vocal about this change. And I think that mm -hmm. it stems from uh, just simply not liking change Um, because that's what the, the amount of people that, I mean, it just seems like they want to hate. 
Like, if yeah, you go, I like, I don't know. You guys have been on the internet. You know how it is. But it's like, oh, God. Yeah. There's, there's no stopping the internet once it gets started. We fell in, We almost fell into that until we had to, we moonwalked out of it. Remember we got in a little Twitter beef with the podcast or something like that? And then we just electric slide out of that conversation. It's a really easy way to get attention, went, right? Like, and, and the, in the world fast. where everyone's voice is the same on the internet, like the easiest way to get attention to your comment is to put a lot of emotionally charged language into it. Yeah. And it feels good yeah. to get that attention, especially if and you need it. My we favorite to, comments, uh, let's see. Sorry, my favorite comments are the ones that um, are these really emotionally charged comments um, about how I am an emotional woman and therefore I'm incapable of doing anything on this world correctly. <laughs> well, that's that's clearly true. Women can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, look at the language you're using. Like, look at look at your your comment. I was like, you're emotional too. Like, let's be friends. <laughs> isn't, isn't Reddit, though, such a fickle beast where you can hire the top uh, commented, uh, like you, you've recruited on Reddit before, and then you have like these misogynistic, confused people that are also like the worst, but then you're also getting like great talent from it, too. Such oh, a yeah. weird, weird portal. All of our, our top support people and our top devs, actually, too, our top support people, they didn't even really um, like necessarily apply <laughs> to be support people. They just, uh, you know, they're doing awesome work, and we we found them. Uh, and our top devs, like, you know, definitely came from Reddit. And I've been on Reddit forever. Honestly, I love Reddit. I love the community. I love. Um, You're an Ethereum moderator, like our our Ethereum moderator. So it's like, I am clearly you've been around. Right now, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not moderating right now. They're doing a good job of of you know. We've been more on top of it lately. I don't know if you've seen it, but. Uh, you know, all the mods are really busy people with like things going on. And then we've been catching slack on Reddit for not moderating as much as people would like us to. So people have been on top of it a lot more. Then of course I come in and just, you know, stir the fucking pot, throw a bunch (laughs) of shit at them to moderate. I had a funny conversation with uh, one of our listeners, Elias on Twitter. We were just like, He's like, I don't understand what the whole my crypto thing is. And I was like, yeah, it's really people not knowing what's going on. And they're just mad that they don't know what's going on. He was like, I don't, I don't get, do I have my private keys? And I was like, yeah, you have your private keys. And he was like, so what's the fucking problem? And I was like, uh, great question, man. <laughs> great, question. great question. So like, let's, so, let's yeah. talk about what, like what the importance or the significance of the split. And that's, that's kind of changing the tone of this, but like, what is, now that it has happened and you've created the entity that you that you wanted, what do you plan to do with it? Yeah, what can you do now that you couldn't before? So, first off, we're just going to keep building, right? Like, this is what we've been doing and this is what we're going to continue to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of different things that we've had in the works and that, you know, we are working on still to this day, like literally commits, like I'm seeing them come in right now. Um, because our developers are so freaking awesome. It's it's really that stability and that knowing that no matter what the world throws at us, um, no matter you know what shit situations we can get in or what direction we want to take, that the company structure 
and the way that we have things set up and the paperwork we have and the the engagement that the engagements that we have with employees all of that is just set up cleanly with a lawyer who actually like wrote the stuff rather than you know kind of doing things for an SSL cert, like you don't have like a top-notch lawyer putting those those pieces of paper together. You mean internet so, legal documents are not are not like the best things to do for large corporations? Yeah, like as much as I love LegalZoom, like if you're gonna if you're gonna have a real business like with with real livelihoods of real people like on the line, don't use LegalZoom. Oh, okay. Shit. Guys, Wait, we gotta we need to go uh, you, <laughs> time to pivot. Time to pivot. <laughs> Does your lawyer give you mobile notifications? Because we get mobile notifications with legal systems. <laughs> I can that that uh, my lawyer has been on the video calls with us for a number of nights this week, just like making sure that we're okay and we need anything and you know we have questions and stuff. So we got you know he's a he's a great great guy and he's been really <laughs> a phenomenal help in in sorting through all of this. So. Um, I don't necessarily get mobile notifications from him. Though. You're missing out. I read You're I read the out, FAQ yeah. that you <laughs> that you recently put out in response to like to how to I guess help explain situations more. And in that FAQ, there's a lot of things that I didn't know you had done or built or are in the process of building. I guess to make your infrastructure better. Like what? And you said these will be open source as well. What do you, what do you see people using these things for? So. One of the biggest like challenges um, that we've been facing is the the reality that a website by nature is not the most secure thing on earth. Um, meaning that you have the website code, which can be, you know, maliciously attacked or manipulated. You have the infrastructure behind the code, which can be maliciously attacked. Um, you have the build processes for any apps that you do. You have the build processes in this case for like the, the, like the local, if you want to run, run my crypto offline, you basically can download that zip file that has all the files in it. So you have all these different moving pieces. Um, and all of these pieces, if you do something wrong, can be manipulated and attacked and try to steal people's funds. And so what we've been really working on is how do we ensure that when we're ready for a release, when we're ready to either push something live to these freaking loads of users, that one, we know the code is like the code that we intend. Um, and two, that the person who's pushing that code, their computer hasn't been compromised. And three, that it's going to be distributed throughout the web in a way that, um, you know, if we have like, say like a UI bug or like a typo or something, like it would be distributed in a, in a more slow rollout manner rather than like just dumping it on the world. And so all of these things are going to protect, you know, the end user because the end user doesn't, isn't going to be checking whether or not, um, you know, all of this infrastructure in place and whether random developer over here's computer was compromised or not. And so what these systems do is basically, it's similar to like a multi-sig wallet, right? But you have that set up for like every step of the deploy process. So you need multiple people. Um, you have checks and balances. You have automated checks. You have manual checks. You have this process that you go through to ensure that like, 
you know, no one thing going wrong actually results in a, in a, in a malicious build of an app or like, um, the website serving malicious code. And that's really, really important to us, especially as we've grown. Um, and then we've also just been, you know, as we've been rewriting the code base, which is all React and TypeScript, we've been really focused on, um, you know, what are the sort of developer tools or the things that are missing in this ecosystem that, you know, could help. And one of the things like TypeScript is amazing, but there's just not a lot of um, some of the more basic libraries. So we've built some things with TypeScript and um, how they how how the code can interact with smart contracts better. Um, you know, and, and these sorts of things are not they're not the most exciting things to the average user, but they're exciting to us. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on and not all of it is just like feature updates on, on the website or whatever. Yeah. I guess me personally, I'm more excited about the, like the way that you build my crypto because I, I build things too. And if I can take a piece of it for myself because it's open source, it helps me do my job better. And the fact that you're, looking forward to a lot of these things that you're doing is something that I'm excited about too. But in, mm -hmm. in, in terms of like thinking about the average user, you're right. They don't give a shit. They just want to get into whatever they're trying to do and access their funds as fast as possible and as easy as possible and as secure as possible. And yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to see like how this changes over time and what like as, as a, as a user and trying to do things, what I'm going to be able to do later on down the line that I can't do now or like easier, whether or not easier or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes we, we talk about the average user on this show, like they are a bag of stupid. Well, but <laughs> I'm not going to say that they are, but it's, it's a range of people. Right. And especially as we look, make things easier and the space gets bigger and the headlines happen and like money goes crazy and new people come in. Like there's always going to be brand new naive listeners who don't understand certain concepts that we take for granted and think everyone understands. Yeah, That's always going to be a thing as adoption gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I commend you guys for working on the security aspect and, and making sure the user is okay because that's what you do when you're producing something. You think about all the failure modes and you assess them and you correct them and you make it, you know, dummy proof so that people can't break it because people well, are tr intending to but they're just gonna <laughs> Corey called it naive you called it stupid so are these people seeing all of the my crypto uh pop-ups reading it and not understanding it or are they just zooming past it and not understanding what they're it's getting both. into it's both there's both there's both users both. yeah me there's... i zoom through because i already understood all the stuff i <laughs> for a while. Well, like me, I was oh like, God. "Hey, what's?" I was like, "Alea." So I was like, "What? Well, what happened?" And Corey's like, "You should know this already. Shame on you." And I was like, "You're right." <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I wasn't gonna say anything, <laughs> but mainly it was it was just my anxiety uh, on it all. But it, that's a reasonable thing, right? It's it's money, right? Yeah. Like this is where it's, I keep my money. Yeah. yeah, it's money. It's change. It's everything that you don't want. Um. And, you know, one of the biggest questions like that I'm seeing right now is like literally like, why didn't you give us weeks and weeks of warnings? Okay, guys, sorry, but 
we've been dealing with these phishing attacks and these malicious attacks and these fake ICO addresses for so long. I'm not going to delay, like, I'm not going to extend the period of change time as, as you know, like with an ICO, this is what happens. You do marketing, you do marketing, you do marketing. You start the countdown clock. You do more marketing, you're tweeting, one day left, guys, you ready? You ready to invest? You ready to do this? And then about 12 hours later, the fishers come in and start throwing addresses at people and, you know, all these, you know, naive investors just throw the money right into the fishers' hands. So there was no good way to do this. Like, we're not going to pretend that this is like was flawlessly executed um Mm -hmm. but i will say that weeks and weeks of announcements or pre-announcements to the announcements like it would all it would have done would would extend the period of confusion and let the fishers and the malicious players in the space get an even bigger toehold yeah i could i could say from being a part of a few of the anti-fishing communities in ethereum um, that y'all have put in an enormous amount of effort um, to try and fight and combat all of the people who are doing legitimate or like illegitimate scams and phishing and trying to take advantage of the way to do this, or trying to take advantage of the naive investors. Like the amount of man hours that your team has put into trying to fix that is probably one of the main reasons why I'm following you guys. It, and I, I think that's what's motivated you to do a lot of these things. And so I don't really care what decision you make because I've seen all of the work that you've put in in the past that was not neat. Like no one told you to do that. No one's paying you to do that. It's what you mm-hmm. just took charge and did. It's right. Still, and I that's, don't... you know, like obviously I would personally probably enjoy the last few days more if there was less hate on the internet. (laughs) But that said, you know, I think that, um, I think holding people accountable and I think that questioning decisions, like I don't necessarily want to discourage that, right? Like I don't necessarily want to be someone that people follow blindly. Um, I don't think that that's healthy either. Um, And so, you know, as much as like, I just want to make the hatred go away right now and the trolls and the not trolls and the concerned people and the confused people and all that, like at the end of the day, I can't really discourage people from, from questioning our decisions, but I would, you know, ask that maybe they do it a bit more uh, respectfully because, you know, it's, it's tough and and I'm not a perfect person and I've never claimed to be a perfect person and I'm doing the absolute best that I can um, and there's a lot of different moving pieces and the reality is and this is something that it's taken me a long time to realize and like only really being forced into this like leadership position to really realize the amount of little things and big things that influence every decision I make like are so immense that really I'm the only one that has all that information. So even mm. the the top team members that are with me all day and do amazing, amazing work, like even they don't have all the information. Um, and when you're talking about, um, you know, the community, it's like the assumptions that they're making are they're making these assumptions that 
X happened, therefore Taylor did Y, therefore I feel, you know, Z. And the reality is like the world doesn't work like that. You know, everything has so many different parts, so many different influencers. There's so many different things that you can optimize for. But we could have optimized for like the biggest, best marketing ever, right? For this, for this uh, new brand. Like we could have optimized for that. We didn't. That was like not a priority. Like our priority was like, okay, we need to make sure that our automated phishing tools like are freaking on the ball. We need to make sure that um, we have a team that's going to be around 24-7 for this to basically mm -hmm. combat anything that's malicious that happens or any toehold that the fishers bring in. And then what that results in is that with everyone so focused on, and by the way, there was like fishing sites were up like this. Like literally we had two yeah. fishing twitters. Um, and I saw that a, like and immediately. A fishing, a fishing website, like a my crypto fishing website up within the hour of the original announcement nope. post. So that's what we were optimizing for. And then with everything else going on, all of a sudden, like, we kind of, like, turn back and we're like, okay, like, what's Reddit look like? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, like, this is oh, not shit. what I expected. You know, and, and people were making comments. And the thing is, their comments are valid. They're like, oh, you're selectively choosing which comments to answer. Well, sort of, but also, like, I'm just hitting Reddit pretty randomly right now. Like, I've got, I think, 340 messages. Like, I'm not selectively going through and, like, reading all 340 of them. I am selectively scrolling to a random position, and if it's something that I can answer in the next two seconds before some other shit flies at my face, I'll take the time to answer it. Yeah. I mean, you had some solid points. You know, a lot of people don't understand uh, what running company entails and how la how layered companies are. And like you said, like there's some people that don't get information, some people that do. And when you're in your position, you get all of the information at all of the time. And you've got to make all of the decisions ultimately, or at least delegate to somebody who can make the decision appropriately. And people don't understand that. They just want a product. And like, I think there's like, you can be a professional rose giver, but there's always going to be two types of people. There's going to be the person, you give them a rose, and they're like, why only one? Why not two roses? <laughs> and then there's going to be a person, you give them a rose, and they say, I don't even like roses. I don't like the smell of roses. And you're like, motherfucker, I'm giving out roses. So it's like, it doesn't, it, Where you know, you, you don't try to please people. You make, that's, yeah. I love it so much. You you, you don't try to please people. A professional people. You make, rose giver. You could it, you could be a professional rose giver, and there's those two people on the planet, and you fucking ignore them. It's like, bitch, you just got a free rose, and you're complaining, or you just got a free rose, and you don't you're complaining. I don't have time for it. Like I'm trying to make decisions and make things better, and you're just that person. So just trying to get better, giving out that, roses, son. Yeah. <laughs> every, every single person that accepts this rose and is like, thank you for this rose. I'm gonna put it in my vase. That's the person that you that's your target. That's, that's why I, target. I emailed Jordan too, because I, I knew you guys were just building and you guys weren't gonna have time for like little pieces of artwork. So I was like, hey, can I help out? And you know, he let that me. Was Thank so you. So kind of you as well, because you you messaged us and I was like thinking and I was like, Yeah, actually there's probably something that we're forgetting. And then like, I don't even know. <laughs> three days yeah. four days later i was like oh crap like we don't have anything 
<laughs> Why don't we uh, um, let's let's take a let's take a break and go to the Jameson Lop interview, and then we'll come man. back for some more sweet my crypto talk. Jameson Lop. So we've been excited to get this interview to you guys for some time. Uh, Jameson Lop with Bitco. Bitco's always doing a bit of things, and they're always on the go. That was lame. I shouldn't have used, I shouldn't have said that. But anyways, you guys should know Jameson Jameson Lop. If you don't and you're new to crypto, you should Google Jameson Lop and look at his resources tab. And by the time you're done with that tab, you will no longer be new to crypto. I promise you. Um, what else does he do, Corey? Amazing beard grower. Cello, you got anything you want to add to this introduction? Yeah, he's got a lot of Twitter followers, so you better retweet this episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's our marketing strategy. You better retweet our content. Do it. Thanks for your time, Jameson. I wasn't in on this interview, but uh, next time. Anyways, uh, super bright guy. We talked about Lightning Network. We talked about where this. I, where I, the I enjoy is. the more technical interviews, and this one allowed yeah. me to kind of ask whatever kind of questions I wanted. And he's got a very. Even that we may not agree on some things, but he's very reasonable and respective of his opinions and other people's opinions. So I enjoyed the conversation. All right. Um, here it is. Interested in cryptocurrency or blockchain technology? Or maybe you want to know the hype surrounding Bitcoin. Tune in to the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Since 2015, it's a daily collection of long-form conversations in the form of podcasts where the world's leading thinkers and doers give us a slice of their perspective. With over nine shows on the network, look for talks on crypto, tech, security, global issues, and more. Visit thebitcoinpodcast.network or find us on Spotify. All right. Today we are here with Jameson Lop of Bitco. I would like to uh, start off this interview by saying I appreciate a lot of what a lot of the work you put into trying to educate the masses on technical issues as well as trying to get people um introduced to this entire space in a way that's not focused on trying to make money as fast as possible but more along the lines of trying to make them understand um how this stuff works where because like I I believe that the main skill people should be trying to do right now is figure out how to become a developer and build things using this technology so that as things proliferate, they, they understand how to do things and build things and make the world a better place as opposed to just making money out of nothing. So yeah, <laughs> laud you for that. Uh, Thanks. Let's uh, start off by like introducing the people who don't know who you are, like how you got into the space, what you do and uh, where you are now. Sure. Uh, am I coming through? Yep. Sounds great. All right. Clear. So as for myself, I've uh, I've been in the space since about fall of 2012, and uh, I just got interested in it from a computer science standpoint and a bit on the philosophical standpoint. And really, to your point, I think that we're still in the building phase of this whole ecosystem. You know, it's nine years old, uh, at least Bitcoin is nine years old at this point, but it's from a like 
multi-generational perspective. If we want this to be a really long-lasting system, then this is the early days. There is a lot that is still left to be built, and we're still actually learning more about the system itself. And that's why one of my favorite pieces that I've written is less technical and more philosophical. And the thesis is nobody understands Bitcoin. And that's because it is this thing that is constantly in flux and we're arguing about what it actually is. And uh, I don't expect that to stabilize uh, from a number of different perspectives for many years to come. You know, I don't expect the prices to stabilize for many years. I don't expect the debates over uh, where we're going with the system to stabilize. Uh, this is still a very early system and the people who are involved with it are definitely early adopters and will have a great deal of influence over the long-term direction. Absolutely. I think one of the reasons I, I follow you so closely is because I find that you you're taking the time to do the thinking in this space and a lot of people aren't and it, it, to me it's like a beacon of like okay here's someone who's critically assessing this space like currently what it looks like in the future and you know just I guess it's just me applauding you know I, I know you're doing heavy heavy mental lifting on a day a daily basis that a lot of people just just aren't so I just wanted to get that out of the way is like a personal yeah, well, to what you there, I mean, there's also a lot of noise, right? I mean, there's a lot of people just yelling at each other on social media 24-7, and it's really easy to get sucked into those debates. And uh, at this point, I just I have to filter a lot of it out for my own sanity and so that I can be somewhat productive. Give us some tips how you filter it. There's people listening right now that want to know. They, can, they don't know how to filter it. So what do you, what do, what do, you do? Yeah, so you know, this is one of the reasons why I've kind of changed uh, forums several times over the years. I mean, back in the early days, the only place you could really go to talk about Bitcoin was Bitcoin Talk, and very quickly that just got overrun with scammers and spammers, and the signal to noise ratio is very low on there. Uh, these days, you know, Reddit is one of the more popular platforms. It has its uh, pros and cons and I even wrote an article about them of you know moderation versus censorship uh, and you know that whole part of the debate that comes up a lot and um, if you don't like you know the moderation of administrators of any single forum then your your only real recourse is to go and uh, use some sort of software that allows you to moderate uh, what you're seeing so that's one of the reasons that I'm a big fan of Twitter it really allows you to curate your feed and curate who you're interacting with. And, you know, it, it is more work. You're not just being spoon fed uh, content. You have to go out and do a little work to, to find the, the high signal to noise ratio accounts. And uh, it does allow you to, you know, then selectively stop listening to people if they're just filling your timeline up with uh, useless arguments or, or, you know, trolling of, of any sort. So here's the problem. Here's the problem that I find with that. And in terms of like a, uh, something that maybe the average person may have an issue with is how do you stop from creating an echo chamber, um, in a place where you are t solely in control of how you curate the material that you see. 
it, it, you need to have some type of dissension or at least – but the problem is if you open up that too much, it just turns into a shit show. So where's the happy medium? Because Reddit is now basically an echo chamber depending on what subreddits you you subscribe to. So you kind of have to then proliferate all of them to get the viewpoint of the entire space and moderate yourself. Twitter, you can kind of block whoever you want or follow whoever you want and you get the opinions of people that you care about or you at least you trust and somewhat respect. But – you may end up pushing yourself into like a small corner where you only see a very narrow point of view. So how do you like, and as the space grows, it then becomes more and more difficult to follow what's going on in a way that's, that's like, I don't not so shilly, if you will. So like, like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, I think it is important to, to follow people with different perspectives that you disagree with. Um, my main criteria comes down not so much to whether or not you agree or disagree, but whether or not that person is willing and able to engage in civil discourse, by which I mean uh, having uh, arguments that are not full of fallacies and attacks and, uh, you know, they, they can be edgy. But without getting too personal and uh, and you know starting to throw insults, name calling, uh, yelling of of any sort, and so you know you'll you'll find that you know I do follow and interact with people that I disagree with, like uh, Roger Ver or uh, Vinny Lingham or Preston Byrne. Uh, you know we have very different perspectives on things, but I find that in general, those guys, you know, I can have a nice back and forth conversation with. Uh, whereas other folks, like when I try to interact with like Craig Wright or whatever, uh, he won't answer my questions. He'll throw a dozen <laughs> other nonsensical questions back at me and basically waste my time. And, and then, and sometimes, you know, he'll go on the attack and, and try to, uh, you know, call me out with various straw man arguments. So there are some people that I respect more than others, and there are people I disagree with that I still respect because I understand that they have a different perspective. That's okay, um, but as long as they're not trying to throw various fallacies and mudslinging around, then you know we can live with each other. Your uh, your Twitter foo is strong. <laughs> That's what we'll say. I think I just made that up. I probably didn't. Nothing is original, but so. While we're talking about disagreements, the biggest disagreement in Bitcoin's history has been this obvious uh, the split that occurred September last year. Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin. I think it's unfair. I mean, we started our show with the premise that adoption is the only thing that matters. And that's pretty much one of the only things we care about when it gets down to all the content we put out. And that's unfair for it from an adoption standpoint. Like if I'm getting texts at 2 a.m. from my sister-in-law, it's like, hey, I think I just bought thousands in Bitcoin cash. What's Bitcoin cash? And I'm like, oh, shit. So, like, how do you feel that rift is going to settle? Like, if you could speculate on that for a little bit, how do you feel that rift is going to settle going into the next, I don't know, year, year and a half? Yeah, so, you know, there's... A number of different reasons why we ended up where we are today, and mm -hmm. you you have some people who prioritize uh, the user experience today with making on-chain transactions, um, and you know keeping those low. 
while other people are prioritizing more long-term view of trying to keep the cost of validating the whole history of the blockchain low at the expense of higher on-chain transactions and then building second layer and even third and fourth layer networks on top of Bitcoin as a platform. Um, we also started to see some more interesting, I guess, economic viewpoints, which you could almost classify as like crypto Keynesians versus uh, crypto Austrians of uh, talking about, you know, the velocity of money and how important that is versus the importance of people using it as a store of value. And, and these, of course, are mostly theories and people are just arguing and debating, you know, which theory is going to be the best one. But the nice thing is because you can fork Bitcoin, now we essentially have two experiments running in parallel and we get to see which one of those actually ends up being uh, better, I guess, from a market adoption standpoint. So, you know, obviously I'm <laughs> more on the, the conservative uh, keep the block size small and, and, and do the more long-term, harder engineering plan. Um, and I've had a number of debates with, with folks on the opposite side. But the great thing is that I can't, regardless of how much I think that might be a bad idea, I can't stop them from doing that, just like they can't stop me and other people who want Bitcoin to go in a certain direction uh, from you know, running the rules that we agree to. So it is anarchy and, and you know, free market capitalism really in a pure form. Now, the, res the result, of course, can be a bit chaotic because then you have the branding confusion going on. And so while there is a kind of technical battle that is going to go on in the long term, we've got this uh, marketing uh, war of words, you know, trying to capture market share and and uh, and attention from people in order to get adoption. So that's when things can start to get a bit more uh, dirty. My issue with a lot yeah. of this stuff is that it's it's difficult to parse what is technically sound versus the marketing that's behind what is said is technically sound because there's a lot of things that are claiming to one fix all of the problems associated with the with with the big networks that don't have any type of transactional volume associated with them so you'd never know whether or not they could fix those issues but yet they claim to in theory and and people will believe them because they are not they don't have the background to validate those those like those claims and there's no way for to to stop that type of thing and so you have what has become a proliferation of people saying that they're fixing all the problems without fixing any of the problems or having, or they may have a novel approach, but it may be, you know, fundamentally flawed once you start giving it scale. And we're not really going to see any of that stuff play out until people throw money at these things, which will eventually fail. And, and it's, it's kind of scary to see like with the kind of think about what the future is going to be like, because there's going to be a lot of really, really, really like crash and burns that happen from these things that have, like, in my opinion, mm -hmm. novel concepts and ideas that really can't be vetted until they have a lot of traffic. Yeah, there's, um, well, there's a lot of scams in the space, uh, some of which are intentional and some of which are unintentional uh, because the, the folks who are, you know, perpetuating the claims uh, aren't actually sure whether or not they're going to be able to pull them off. And then, you know, we do have... I think plenty of good faith efforts of folks 
who are convinced that they're going to be able to deliver on stuff, but it's still a very high risk uh, environment simply because people are trying to build systems that have never existed before and you can theorize about them, but it's not until they get out in the wild and, and are really in an adversarial environment where they're being attacked on a constant basis and there's real money on the line to incentivize uh, sophisticated attackers. It's it's not until you get to that point that you can actually be more sure about the uh, ability of these systems to do what they're claiming. Yeah. I think a lot of it is kind of like, there's some simple rules that exist. And, and one of the simple rules that I followed is like, it's usually the team that's quiet and working is the one that's actually doing something. You know, like it, it wasn't like Zuckerberg was on like CNNBC uh, back when he was making Facebook in his dorm room saying how it's going to take over the world and he's going to have freaking 4 billion users coming to use his, his social media platform. He was just like, I'm just going to make some cool stuff and uh, just make it, you know? So if, if I could give a, a tip of how I do my decision making when it comes to the best projects to follow, the best people to follow in the space, the listeners, it's just like the people that aren't making a lot of noise and then you go see they're doing real work, those those are the people to follow. I, I wanna I wanna try and like maybe I don't know if I'm gonna back this up or or go against what you're saying, but like technology is only a like a tool to use to enable use cases that don't exist. And if the technology like people who are behind the scenes working are trying to make something work so they can offer a product. Because if they don't have a product or something that actually that's actually useful to whether it be developers or end users, then they don't have anything and they can't make money in the long run. And so like that's it's there's a lot of people who are working that fail that you don't hear about. But the ones that you do hear about are the ones that enable somebody to do something. And like it's I don't know whether or not the people who are working really hard at least in the space right now, are going to be able to make a product later on down the line. And it's hard to parse, like, which ones can. Like, I, mm. so, like, where do you, like, what, 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 you've, you've spent a lot of time with your head down working on the actual problems. Where are you seeing things that are actually working slash um, making steps in the right direction so that in the end, the people can actually do something that they couldn't do before or do something they could in a better way? Yeah, so there's actually so many systems that are out there right now, especially with all of these uh, utility tokens and whatnot, that uh, I don't think anybody humanly has enough time to evaluate them all. But I generally am sticking to the most popular ones, uh, the most valuable ones. And uh, from that standpoint, uh, you know, Bitcoin right now fairly simple and straightforward mainly used uh, as a a simple store of value and, and medium of exchange um, because it's it's simpler in functionality it's also simpler I think to scale it up um, you know we, we have people working on lightning network for some I want to say nearly three years now and lightning network is insanely complicated but um, it would be a lot more complicated if Bitcoin was trying to do a lot more than just be, uh, you know, simple money and payments. So, 
I'm very interested to see what's going to happen long term with the various like smart contract systems that are, you know, an order of magnitude more complicated on their base layer, because I think it's going to be that much more complicated to scale them up uh, to become global systems. But as for the actual use cases, one of the biggest problems that I'm seeing these days, especially in the it's like smart contracts token space, is a lot of people coming up with an idea, and the idea would work just fine, you know, as a standalone web app. And then they're like, "Oh, but we're going to tokenize it, so you have to get a token in order to use it." And so, uh, basically, the way that I've described that to a number of people is well. You're basically creating like Chuck E. Cheese tokens, right? Uh, the the functionality for a lot of these things is not actually really fundamentally need a distributed decentralized token. You're just trying to you know hop onto the hype train and uh, cash in with an ICO so that people can use what is essentially a crippled version of money that only works for your specific piece of software. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of projects in that space, or working, operating in that space. That's for sure. That's for sure. Is go ahead, Gore. Yeah, I was. I was. Go ahead. I'm. I'm listening. So, Did you have so something. I like yeah. keeping things simple. Um, and you know, we still haven't really made the perfect form of money yet. I, th- I think there's still a lot more to be done just for simple store of value and and transfer of value. And that's why the projects that I am interested in uh, tend to be more of the like cypherpunk privacy focused stuff. So you know, Monero and Zcash are interesting, but I'm really excited about Grin and Mimblewimble and the possibility that they might be able to bring like real scalability and real uh, fungibility to uh, just a digital money system. So well, we actually had uh, a great we we hosted a great um, episode of a podcast that we're that we're, we're friends with on the show about Mimblewimble that was a fantastic interview with Andrew. Um, if you haven't checked that out, I'd, I'd recommend it. But I'm like, I'm more of the lines like I, because this space is so new and nascent. I'm in the camp that wants generality. I like the idea of not narrowing the focus on what is capable of the system and allowing the people to build on top of it. If you get the fundamentals right, then you can scale the system based on a few fundamental laws that are very general. And not narrowing what you do, which I feel Bitcoin maybe artificially did when it made its stack language. And granted, it's done really well, but it's narrowed its its kind of future on what it can possibly be. And money, don't get me wrong, is a really good use case. And so it's a network that can survive and flourish for a very long time. But I just like the idea of like general purpose utility and then allowing other people to come up with ideas on how to use it. You think it, you think that they've maybe Ethereum in this case has narrowed its, has, has widened its scope too much to make it impossible to scale using the technology. Yes. So there's, there's a couple different ways to look at it. And, um, I do believe that, you know, we want to have, uh, a general purpose, um, I guess you would call it, uh, authoritative record uh, without authority. So you know, from a computer science standpoint, I see a lot of these systems as databases. 
And they just happen to be new types of databases that have very specific rules around how you can change the data in the database. Uh, and of course, it's append only, so you can only really add data, but you are making changes that uh, result in a new state of the database. So for, for Bitcoin, that new state is uh, unspent transaction outputs. Then for Ethereum, the new state is a lot more complicated where it could be a simple value transfer from one account to another, or it could be a much more complex uh, value transfer that is going through um, arbitrarily complex logic that's being you know, calculated by every node on the network. And so the, the two, I guess, primary perspectives of, of looking at these systems is uh, the Bitcoin perspective I think you're going to see long term, you're going to see smart contracts and more complex functionality, but you're not going to see that calculation actually happen at the consensus layer. You're going to see it happen on other layers, and then they are going to sort of aggregate their proofs and put you know, the minimum viable required amount of data into the blockchain itself that can then prove that some computation happened elsewhere. And I think that's more scalable in the long term rather than doing all of the computation and proving and storing the data into the blockchain itself. Is that like but, a reference to Merkleized abstract syntax trees or is that? Uh, yeah, that's, that's one possibility. Um, but also you could just be doing, um, you know, side chains. Uh, mm -hmm. So like the uh, rootstock, for example, is I think going to be a good uh, – example of actually having like the Ethereum virtual machine available and being able to do all of the complex logic, but then uh, the actual consensus, like that's not going to be changing Bitcoin itself. You're just going to be cryptographically pegging to the Bitcoin chain. And I, uh, I did have an article a few years ago where I really wrote about uh, these systems as trust anchors. And so the idea that you just you need some sort of authoritative record that you can anchor onto and you don't have to do all your complex logic inside of that system. You can just use it basically as like a time stamped authoritative record and then you can create your own systems that do whatever you want and doesn't bother anybody else uh, who's using Bitcoin or whatever other blockchain and then just be putting your data uh, sparingly as you need into the blockchain itself, which you can then reference later. Yeah. I don't really need my transaction of buying a donut to go into an immutable record that's recorded for the history of all time. It's, it's like there's certain applications where I need to prove that something happened or like a, a, an entire company needs to, check check some itself against an immutable record to prove that everything that's happened within a certain time frame has been has been real and provable and everything doesn't necessarily need to go into a completely trustless scenario so building systems that work around the what i like to call them like trust scenarios or trust constraints kind of dictates how you build the system and i, I feel like that's the proper way to scale and you're seeing like a few a few networks try and do this. In my opinion, Ethereum is one of the ones because they're trying to offload a lot of the computation onto uh, like layer two and layer three networks with plasma chains and things like that. And Bitcoin proper is trying to do the exact same thing by making the Lightning Network 
Merkleized abstraction trees, side chains, things like that, where they use what you've what you've said as the Bitcoin blockchain as a trust anchor, a settlement layer of ultimate trust. But like, how long do you think where these things will be like actually being used? Because it, it's really early, and none of the actual layer two technology works with any <laughs> level of trust. Like, yeah, it, which is <laughs> that's why it's so funny that I, I have a lot of people coming to me with their ideas of you know uh, tokenized whatever, and my my first retort, if it's not a retort of like you, you know you're creating a Chuck E. Cheese token, which is just you know restricted utility, um, my my second retort is well. You know, you've got this grand business plan of you know being able to get millions of users and and lots of adoption and create a valuable system, but you're building it on top of Ethereum with an ERC twenty token that's gonna you know have actual cost behind using it. You know, as the gas price on the Ethereum network goes up, as you know, there's more contention for block space on there. I mean, it's the same problem. You know, every blockchain has this fundamental scaling problem that uh, if they become popular, they start to create fee markets and there's contention over this scarce resource. So if blockchain is a database that is this uh, common public good, then we have to worry about, you know, tragedy of the commons if we don't uh, start charging people, if we don't let there be some sort of economic incentive for people to use the scarce resource in an efficient way, you know, for valuable things. Um, And, you know, because there's no authority over their systems, you can't have a a gatekeeper or a filter who says, oh, this is spam and that's not spam. Uh, You just have to let the uh, economics work themselves out. But then that results in disenfranchising a lot of people who think that, uh, you know, they should get a free lunch on these systems. I think that um, I think what people want and not want, I think what people need is a feeling of security. And what they don't realize is that scaling isn't pretty. Like people think scale is supposed to be just a pretty dream where everybody just magically starts using things the way that we all see in our head. <laughs> but if you think about other things that scaled, like like the automobile, first it started with red flags, and we were like, ah, oh, damn, like a hundred people are dying a week. This is a bad idea. Let's go to signs. And then four way stop, four way uh, intersections were great with just a stop sign for a long time. But then people were like not obeying those rules either. They were like, you know, screw the stop sign. I'm taking off. And so we were like, all right, let's level this up a little bit. What about like hanging lights? What if we just hang some lights up so even people further behind the stop sign can see that they need to stop too? Like it'll be great. And then that works. And, you know, people want this this sense of security like scaling is just going to be beautiful. But I don't think it works that way i don't think it works that way with any technology and and right now they're just they're searching for that well andreas andreas said that 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 whole he has a he said it a a couple times but his whole thing was the failing to scale gracefully and at, at any at any point when you have a certain amount of potential use in a in a network people will try their damnedest to shove whatever use case they have into that space and it's going to fill up the network and the moment you make you you put out that fire and you increase the capacity of that network you enable new use cases or the use cases that we're trying to get in and it immediately fills up with the people who couldn't do things beforehand we're going to do it then and then that then doesn't scale appropriately but 
you've increased the you've increased the capacity. People can do new things. They can't do the, the other things. And slowly but surely, you just continuously put out fires and increase capacity on what's capable of the network. And there's always going to be people bitching because it doesn't do what they want it to do. But you're still providing more and more and more service as you increase the capacity of the network. Like when the internet started, it sucked. You couldn't do a lot of things, but slowly but surely we made technological innovations. Engineers solve problems. We increased the infrastructure to allow people to do things better and faster. And now we can, we can have VR over the damn internet. And like, it's slowly but surely, things will get better. But it's slowly but surely. That took, what, 40 years? It's been yeah, just imagine what would it, what would have happened if uh, a bunch of those early internet adopters who were uh, upset and bitching about not being able to do things forked off and created their own version of the internet. You know where where would that have led over the decades? You know would we have multiple incompatible internets at this point? It's interesting <laughs> to think of. You know parallels there's so many parallels between these different networks uh, that'd be one hilarious is communication network and one is a economic uh, network but I, I think that you know functionally they're going to evolve in similar ways just stumble upon this crazy ass tribe of humans that lived under a different internet <laughs> for decades like what the hell have y'all been up to that'd be hilarious that's a that's a book in the making elias if you're listening um so I guess I have a question specifically to the Lightning Network, and that is, are there any myths that you see that you'd like to to squash here about what the Lightning Network can and can't do at its current in its current state? Yeah, I mean, it gets pretty complicated because the Lightning Network is going to offer uh, different functionality, different security model. Um, it just it it works very differently from Bitcoin. So you know, one of the the bigger things that people have been arguing about is like how centralized will the Lightning Network be? And uh, I I wrote an article two years ago on CoinDesk that was like a speculative you know this is all the challenges we're going to have to deal with. And one of the main things that I talked about was the topology of the network. And so you have a bunch of people who are constantly saying, oh, it's going to be a hub and spoke network and all the big hubs are going to be uh, AML, KYC, you know, banking providers. And, and so Bitcoin is basically going to get overtaken by uh, the banks and you're, you're not going to be able to use it without uh, being fully identified and uh, censorship resistance and fungibility will go away. But <laughs> that's not how this works. That's not how any <laughs> uh, of this works. <laughs> but uh you know, and, and then I try to use a, a parallel of the internet itself of of how uh, Bitcoin and the and the blockchain are basically like uh, layer zero of the internet, the Ethernet layer, which is this broadcast uh, to everyone type protocol. And the way that the, the engineers ended up making the internet more scalable is they built layers on top of it. They were doing routing, uh, TCP/IP. Uh, that, which allows you to, you know, only send data between a minimum number of nodes to get to its destination, and that's really the exact same concept that is being used for Lightning Network to make it much more efficient. So we're only sending data to a few parties on the network. Now, 
you you hear people start to argue and say, well, you're basically creating ISPs, and those ISPs are going to control like the high bandwidth or a, AKA high capital uh, channels on the network, and that could be true, except for uh, a stark difference in that. It's incredibly challenging to start your own ISP. It requires a ton of capital, and you have to jump through a lot of hoops from a like legal and regulatory standpoint. But to create a new Lightning node to uh, you know further decentralize the network topology just requires a little bit of technical skill and a little bit of Bitcoin to to fund those nodes. So, like I am intending to use my Bitcoin capital and my technical skills to run as many Lightning nodes as I deem necessary to help keep the the network more decentralized. Like, if I have to run a dozen Lightning nodes um, that I set up, you know, around the world and monitor. Uh, I will be happy to do that uh, if that is something that is you know necessary because the exchanges or other big providers are are the only ones running uh, highly connected nodes. But I'm not sure that that's even going to be necessary. You know, just from looking at the organic growth that has been happening on the network already, I think there's a lot of people who are very excited about this technology, and that may be a better indicator of its long-term success than the you know arguing back and forth over whether or not it will be successful you know if there's enough people that are willing to vote, devote their time and money and other resources to continue to improve uh, protocol or network or whatever then it's uh, it's got a lot of momentum behind it and it's not going to die i think like i i really get behind what you just said there and i think what kind of furthers furthers the differentiation between what the the isp analogy is the trustless nature of Lightning Network, the automation in which it works. Um, it's like right now, like the way the networks currently work is we are offloading transactions based on the, the, the network's inability to scale to trusted third parties. Like think about what Coinbase does. When I, I would prefer to send someone Bitcoin on Coinbase because it's free and instant. If, if I'm just doing normal transactions because that's, it's free and instant. But what I'm doing is I'm offloading the trust and responsibility of Coinbase to handle that money, which is which, which we've proved isn't necessary if the technology exists to not do it. And what Lightning Network does is allows Coinbase to run a massive Lightning node, which then enables them to tr- then trustlessly move coins from person to person or entity to entity or throughout the network. So that I no longer have to trust Coinbase to handle that money. I can just go through them to hop. And the network itself is optimized to minimize both the time it takes to get my message to someone else and the money it takes to do that. So if Coinbase is charging a lot of money to route that message, I'm going to go around it based on all the nodes that are around it. And it's just going to equalize the entire playing field because there's an economic incentive to run a lightning network node if someone's charging too much because you're going to get people to route through you if you charge less. And like, I feel like that's kind of one of like, yeah, it may be easier to participate, to go through these nodes, but if they're charging too much, you just go around them and that's done automatically and trustlessly. And I don't think people quite understand that because it's, it's a difficult thing to understand. Yeah, man. 
that's hella difficult to understand. <laughs> Basically, explain routing, but for money. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it's if you, it's not if, easy. But yeah. like, who do you trust, right? Like, it's like no one's shilling that. Like, that's not like no one's going around making money off that because no one's paying someone to say that. And there's and, no ICO. Uh, yeah, there's no unless ICO. Unless you consider for... <laughs> Bitcoin as the ICO. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so it's a matter of time, right? That's a matter of time. It's it's a matter of providing that use case where it's like, you keep saying these things, but I'm using it and I don't have these problems. So whatever you're saying is garbage. It, it's just we're not yeah. quite there yet because unfortunately, these engineering problems are not so easy because they've never been done before. And and I think it's just going to take time and you'll people like the noise, the signal to noise ratio will just get better as the technology gets better. But unfortunately, it takes us a while to mm. um, do things in a way that's scientific and provable so that we're not going to lose people's money. Because when you make a new technology dealing with value transfer, you don't want to fuck that up. And so you have to do it in a good way. And that that's not you can't do that haphazardly. Well, and it's kind of weird because, you know, I mentioned there are different perspectives like sort of crypto Keynesians, crypto Austrians. But I've even seen uh, in some cases, it's almost like uh, crypto Luddites of the people who are like, <laughs> look, Bitcoin works the way that it's, you know, set up by Satoshi. You know, you make an on-chain transaction and you don't have to be online to receive the money. You can come back later and check it. And it's very simple for programmers to be able to, to create software that, you know, listens and is able to uh, validate these transactions. But now you want to make everything 10 times more complicated and people aren't going to want to use it and understand it and the de developers aren't going to want to work on top of it. And so you have some people who are like, the old way is the tried and true method and, yeah. and we should just keep doing that and just, you know, make everything bigger and faster rather than trying to, you know, you, you hear the sort of technical debt uh, as an argument, uh, which you know, people are arguing against complexity, which from from one standpoint, you know, there is the, the keep it simple, stupid uh, way of going about engineering things like you don't want to make anything more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, of interesting trade offs there that have resulted in some people wanting to, you know, keep Bitcoin simple, stupid. Uh, but of course, that just means they're willing to make other trade offs that you know, I think are, are not going to work out. I think that last group of people you just defined are the easiest to ignore nowadays because it's like, you think Henry Ford would be upset that we've gone from Model T to Lambo? I think he'd be pretty, if he were alive, he would be amazed that we built on the automobile. That I like the automobile. It's my favorite analogy. So I'll go to. It's a go-to. But, you know, he'd be happy and thrilled that we built upon it that much and we're not still riding around in his shitty Model T. Great for history books and pictures, but that's a shitty car. I've seen it in person. I've sat in one. So <laughs> I just you know, those people are easy to ignore. Well let's let's look at let's no. use the same analogy everyone likes to use is how the internet scaled. It's 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 a layered technology. And the same people who are complaining about keep it simple stupid for Bitcoin are the same ones who are using 14 Node.js apps to, to, to like do everyday activities in their lives. Like, do you think all of the stuff that makes your life easy now 
isn't built off some type of framework that's built on top of seven different other layered stacks that enables to actually get down to the the, the Ethernet layer. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, it It is adding more complexity, but you have to simultaneously abstract away that complexity, you know, under the hoods. That, that's what the 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 usability problem with with um, adding these extra layers is that you need to you need to just like slap a nice uh, simple API on top of it for the developers. You need to slap a nice slick UI on top of it for the regular users so they can just push a button and the money goes to where they expect it to. Well, that's yep. hopefully we get there. I think we will. And like what we, I think philosophically speaking, what we call money now is going to drastically change as these things become more and more easier to use. The I, the concept of money to my children is going to be vastly different than the concept yeah. of money to me as I grew up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. I think like when I imagine what children grow like the world children grew up in versus what I grew up in. And how they view the world and what becomes like normal to them, I think money is going to be the thing that they see that's very different. Whereas like what we like the children now, they've always had the internet, so information and the access to information is is very different to them because because it's something that's always been there. And for them, it's just going to be like well, like one central money, like one money to like to to you exchange in for everything else is going to be a very 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 strange thing them like what do you mean you just use one money or like you just you you get one money for the work that you do or like you you go to a job for one single money and use that for everything that's like that's kind of neat to me to try and look forward into the future and see like what is the what is the world going to look like or like what's going to be what what are my children going to look at me and go like what the hell are you talking about dad stop being weird what (laughs) if you were to try and do that based on your perspective of this technology and where you think it's going what's gonna be weird to the children yeah. who grew up in this world that's impossible to predict man now my parents are looking at me weird because i i make fun of them because they have cable it's like why are you watching cable tv what's wrong with you why are you watching television what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> they're like what the hell do you mean why am i watching television this was the shit when i was growing up so yeah i don't know that's I mean, the, the world is going to keep getting weirder because uh, it's going to keep fracturing. Like everyone is going to be able to have their their own smaller and smaller like niches and, and subsets of groups of, of people with similar interests that are working on things together. And I mean, that's how you end up with like crypto kitties, right? It's like I like cats and I like blockchains and let's create a, you know, provably uh, unique <laughs> cat on the blockchain and uh you never know what's uh there we got one (laughs) is uh you know these these mashups of interests and ideas uh will proliferate and and continue to get weirder and weirder and uh we're we're not going to be able to keep up with it all and um i think you already see evidence of that when uh you know you put a a tablet or a phone in, in front of a toddler and they just start going at it and, and, you know, you just hope that they don't end up like clearing your bank account out while they're in there. Yeah, that's a scary sight that my two year old niece can operate an iPad Pro better than my like, 62 year old dad. It is crazy to see. But I'm like, wow, things are going to be moving real fast, real soon. So. All right. Or you got anything else? Uh, or are we wrapping it up? We're not we're not there yet, but I think that's a good way to wrap this interview up. Um 
Jameson, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you'd like to say or that we should have? No, I mean, uh, you know, my main thing about this space is that it is this ultimate uh, freedom that we're all trying to strive for. And everybody has their own view of how we're going to get there eventually. But the uh, the anarchy that uh, we're trying to bring to the world can be pretty messy and difficult to, to convince people that it's all worth it. But um, it's, it's not going to be a utopia. Uh, I think a lot of people are under this false impression that, that those of us who are contributing to these systems um, think that we're going to fix all of the world's problems. And there's still going to be problems and strife and conflict, but, you know, we're really just going to the root of, of you know, the specific problem of, of money, but even more specifically of trust and, and trying to redefine, like, how we actually come to trust uh, people and entities and, and decide, like, whether or not we really need to trust them. So it's going to fundamentally change a lot of things about the world, just like the Internet has fundamentally changed pretty much every industry in the world. And it's it's hard to even speculate as to, to how, you know, all these different industries and, and just people's lives are going to change in the coming decades. So it's exciting. And, you know, I'm glad to be a, a part of, of trying to help build that out wherever it goes. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to to try to bring my understanding to the rest of people who may be more pessimistic about, you know, some of the more nefarious things that go on in the system. I think that overall it's going to be a, a positive benefit for humanity, just like every you know new tool has been. People are going to misuse it, but in general, most people, I believe, are good and are going to use tools for the benefit of everyone. So I got two questions for you. The first is a Duffy. It is, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? A trustworthy system of record no one controls. I got six. What do you got, Corey? Yep, six. Corey, is, you got six? Okay. Yes. Well done, sir. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> Everyone fails won, that. You have won nothing, but <laughs> but it's a fun question that we like to ask. Try and Dr. Seuss this stuff a little bit. The second question, it's got to be, it's going to be shameless, and I feel bad I'm saying this, like, uh, looking on your podcast list on lop.net and just we're nowhere to be found on there. I don't know. We may have slipped through the crack. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't understand. What are what are the qualifications to make this list? Is there is there some sort of list that we can make sure we're checking off to make sure? Yeah. Know, so, well, there's two things. Uh, <laughs> one, you know, I created that years ago and have slowly been adding to it. But, um, you know, it's open source and anybody can submit a pull request to Ooh. try to make changes. Well so played, generally, you know, people will open a pull request and it'll be, you know, some site that I've never heard of before. And then I have to go look at it and try and figure out if it's trustworthy or or they're tr just trying to scam people and, you know, want to, to get on my my site to appear to be more reputable. But anybody can open a pull request. All if right. You can figure out how. I guess I'm doing that tonight. <laughs>
<laughs> yep. I think I, I mean we're pretty. I I speak for myself. I think we I think we're reputable. We do we do we do good work here. So, well, Jameson, thank you for stopping by. It's been a long time. Uh, we tried to get you on the show. Uh, for you guys listening, uh, check out lop.net. Trust me, it is just a wealth of information. Every single person that I on ramp, the second thing I do after on ramping them is send them to lop.net because it's basically like a hey. If you don't know, you can go to zero to 60 real fast on lop.net, you know, so just to give you an inkling, everything on lop.net slash bitcoin.html, if you click on the Bitcoin resources tab, everything is just put for put there for you. Getting started, online courses, documentaries, the history of Bitcoin, video presentations, news sites, podcasts, high quality blogs, it's all curated there. So you can go read and learn all that you want and there's no excuse to not know things when this this kind of resource exists so that's all i got all right james thanks for coming on the show uh hope to have you back sometime uh you're welcome anytime to come on and and shoot the shit awesome thanks for having me all right everybody that was the interview with jameson engineer extraordinaire hope you enjoyed that and uh, we're back here with Taylor from My Crypto, and we're just gonna wrap things up a bit because this episode's getting long. Yeah, it turns so out uh, that interview with Jameson was long. I forgot that we went for a while. So, yeah, you guys nerded out for a while. I'm sure your your car ride to your home from work is getting over, and you don't want to sit in your car longer to listen to us. So we'll let you go. Taylor, you wanna anything you wanna add or talk about or? Say what's up or shout out to... I want to thank the Reddit community. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say that to all the people that have, you know, emailed us or DM'd us or are being supportive on Reddit or even being, um, you know, are questioning things on Reddit, but not doing it with just like the hatred and the passionate language. Like, I will say thank you to those people. Um, you know, we we're fully aware that we're going to have to prove ourselves and that's fine because we're going to keep on building. We're going to keep on doing what we do best. Um, and we're going to keep on doing what we can to make this space better and the space safer. And, and that's what we're here for. And that's what we were born to do. So, you know, if you don't trust us right now, if you don't trust anyone right now, it, okay. Like that's probably a good thing because this is, this is the blockchain. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. Like personally, I'm curious to see what happens with my ether wallet. And what the new team and the decisions that they make do to change the way my Ether wallet works or it just stays, maintains the same. So like it, it's still a fantastic product, just the way it is right now. And right, exactly. And, I'm and curious that, to see if that changes um, at all. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that I've said this a lot. Like, we've been living in a world where we have very little competition. Um, like, very, very little competition. Um and especially for some of our features, like, you know, supporting all the ERC-20 tokens, we have such little competition. So, you know, if my Ether wallet decides to, like, go down, like, a, a unique path or just, like, keep on building, like, that's going to be probably um, one of the most exciting things simply because that's going to give us this competition. It's going to kick us in the ass. It's going to kick us to be better. It's going to kick us to be the best, you know, versions of ourselves. Um, 
and this is, you know, it's been a learning experience. It's going to continue being a learning experience and we're going to continue doing the best things we can. And, you know, like, welcome to the party guys. Sweet. Once today, right, once well, again, the, the crypto space is, is a interesting cutthroat place to be. And, uh, it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's permissionless and that you get to do whatever you want and you can't really stop people from doing what they want. And so you get to kind of watch that unfold in real time. Yeah. And it moves so fast and there's so much drama, you know, what more could you ask for? <laughs> I can do it. Right, well, uh, Go ahead, Cello. You can catch Taylor at a Taylor and team at a, the largest Ethereum hackathon conference in the U S at Ethereum Denver next week. And Corey will be giving a talk on the social implications of blockchain infrastructure at the Bitcoin Super Conference going on at the same time. So you'll be in Denver. We'll be in Dallas. That's where you can catch us. Uh, MyCrypto.com. Uh, this podcast is on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And uh, that's all I got. Anything else? Nope. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on at CorePetty, C-O-R-P-E-T-T-Y. I don't tweet that much, so I'm probably not that interesting. But uh, Taylor's going to be at my crypto. You're at Mojincello, M-O-J-I-N-C-E-L-L-O. Yep. Holler. All right. Baby outro.